Welcome back to the final half hour of Green Rush Live, our really live business of cannabis talk show that we have here on Pro Cannabis Media every Friday afternoon from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, and I'm here basically just to remind people who are watching to like, share, and subscribe to the content, not just on Green Rush Live, but also our weekly news show. I'm so proud of it. Elena Pinto does a great job as an anchor. She is network quality people, okay? She came from a network affiliate in Boston, and she's working for us, and we're so happy to have her as part of the team. And Tori Chamberlain, uh, the producer of that show, does a great job, as does Dan French, who stays up all night, Thursday night, putting this show together. And I probably should be giving him kudos uh, for that as well, because he controls this show. He could actually mute me at any time. So think about that power that that gives him, all right? Uh, joining us in the last half hour, once again, again, is Doug, Doug Miller and Josh Kincaid. But we're joined by Arshad Lassie from the Nirvana Group in Oklahoma. Hello, Arshad. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Tell us about the Nirvana Group and, and where you operate out of and what you guys do. Sure. Uh, we're based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, it started off as a smoke shop about 10 years ago that my dad started. And uh, when Oklahoma legalized uh, medical marijuana, I urged my family to, to take part in it and participate. And in the past three years, we've seen uh, a lot of success and we've been able to, to grow our business into multiple retail stores, cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, and, and build a, a suite of cannabis brands. Fantastic. That congratulations, because we because those on this show know how much work it takes to accomplish what you guys have done. And Oklahoma has had, you know, an interesting relationship because pretty much anybody who was in the phone book in Oklahoma was able to get a license pretty much. More or less, more or less. Yeah. And a lot of them have been sold. A lot of them are, are not being used. Um, what is the state of the industry in Oklahoma now? It's definitely uh, extremely competitive. There were a lot of business licenses awarded to uh, a lot of different people. Some people have had immense success and some people have not been so fortunate and they've struggled and continue to struggle. But we are, uh, we, you know, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We see the possibility of adult use and recreational being passed in the next couple of months. Um, and we're excited that that's going to bring in a new wave of business and, and revitalize the state. But, you know, it's still a great market and people are still doing phenomenal things and, and having lots of success. Yeah. I'm going to ask Josh this because he's a numbers guy. Josh, when you compare the adult use market sales to the medical sales, there's got to be an X factor in there. How much more um, value, how much more sales on the adult use side versus just the medical? I'm sure you know this. Am I right? Yeah. If you look at, at, at a chart and you were to compare medical and recreational sales, you would see this bar and then you would see nothing next to it. And that would be the comparison. <laughs> medical would be zero because it literally doesn't pay for itself. The, the cost of the card, like unless you're buying a lot, doesn't actually pay for itself. And so every single adult use state that rolls out, medical sales basically go to nothing. And the, the entire market has no quote unquote demand because it was never designed for a medical market. The rec came in or adult use came in and, and wiped that out. Yeah. And, and in New Jersey, Doug, um, 
this is going on right now. You're finally opening up adult use stores. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if you have any stats about what is going on in New Jersey or not, but uh, just your overall impression of what you see going on. Well, it is funny because with the adult use, we because our lines do are long and medicinal patients do have to get first like prior. So if you have a medicinal card, you can skip the line and walk right into the dispensary and, and go right ahead of everybody. So there are people that do still have their medicinal card and use it. I have a medicinal card. I work with the doctor, so I, I do help them. So, uh, but, um, but yeah, it's funny because a lot of people, I mean, I, I know a ton of people that signed up for the medicinal card when it was just medicinal, they're not. So they're not renewing their cards now. They're yeah. Just well, going a quick, quick stat I can tell you in Massachusetts, just so you know, the governor was one of the few governors in this state to actually shut down the adult use market in Massachusetts when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the pandemic, it's not over. It's just we're dealing with it better now. Uh, that that being said, I'm pretty sure that there was a, a spike in medical card use during the pandemic. I think 160, 170,000 patients. And now it's down to about 92,000 in Massachusetts. Um, And yet anybody who uses this product is really using it medicinally. Arshad, when you're looking at your books and you're projecting the difference between where you guys are with the medical program versus where you think you can go with adult use, what's the X factor in that? Well, we, we think it's definitely going to like Oklahoma um, last year did almost a billion dollars in medical sales. Yeah. So we think that within the next two to three years, we should see at least similar numbers in adult use sales. But, um, you know, we recently got our license in New Mexico. And one thing that's been interesting there is New Mexico's first adult use sales started in April. And every month the, the state releases the report and adult use and medical are neck and neck. It's like 5149 adult use. Um, and I think there's a couple of factors there. I think some states have very few pre-existing condition requirements. The cost of acquiring a medical card is so cheap um, that it could offset if you're an avid consumer or a regular consumer, it's part of your lifestyle, then it could offset the tax differences and um, you know offers you different milligrams and doses of products. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that how that entirely fares out here, but we do expect it to uh, massively increase, um, you know, revenue and sales. How, how big is, you said you're vertically integrated. How big is your grow? Uh, we do a greenhouse cultivation. Uh, we we have about 10,000 square feet of greenhouse space. And any idea what the, uh, how many, how many pounds you were able to get through that little greenhouse? Um, probably close to three to 5,000 pounds a month. A I mean, month. a year, a year. I was going to say a month. Wait a second. That's a, yeah. Yeah. Pumping some serious gas into that thing if they're blooming <laughs> that fast. Throughout the course of a year. And, and Oklahoma has such a, a massive availability of biomass that we're, I'm sure we could push it and, and do more, but it's not been needed because we can we can acquire so much at, you know, at a very similar cost. And, and give me a little um, help with the Oklahoma market as far as uh population of that state how, how big a state is oklahoma about four million people who live in the entire state right. it's pretty small it's pretty small yeah. right for state I, I get that i get that um 
it just mm-hmm. it, it's always interesting to me because now the numbers guys are looking at canopy space. They're looking at yield. They're now they're able to look at um, real figures as opposed to projections mm-hmm. that were around before the market has happened here in Massachusetts. So I, I think uh, it, it it it's well over my head when it comes to numbers. Um, Josh, you got you got. I know you'll have a question for Arshad. Go ahead. Well, let's start with the number of seventy five hundred licenses in Oklahoma is is a tremendous amount. It makes uh, you know Portland look like they're they they have a moratorium or something, yeah. and uh, and Oregon has with half that about thirty five hundred licenses, and they're probably the second most in the nation. So at some point, it sounds like you're going to have a pretty good opportunity for your picking as some of those businesses uh, kind of collapse. But I'm wondering um, what what type of of market Oklahoma is? Is it um, you know conservative like like in Arizona where they're buying vapes a lot, or is it more of a an open market like Washington where they're buying a bunch of pre rolls? What to you know, maybe describe to the audience and, and let us know what do people go after? What's some of the favorite products that you're seeing that you're shipping and, and making a lot of? Well, I think one other number that's really important to note is out of the 4 million people that live here, almost 400,000 have a medical card. Damn. So I think one in 11 people um, or one in 10 people um, has access to medical cannabis, right? So um, it's a very open market. Consumers are, you know, um, open to trying a lot of new things. And we've seen uh, tremendous amounts of innovation in the past three years, things that we don't see in other markets for maybe five to seven years. Um, but, you know, 50% of most sales are still flour, but edibles and pre-rolls and um, extracts and and beverages are definitely a growing space and uh, make up a large aspect of our volume. Has anybody enjoyed the beverages, Doug and Josh? Uh, just an open question. Every time I tried them, they're about five milligrams. That's the limit of a can in Massachusetts. Um, it does nothing. I have- we, we sell a hundred milligram juice. Well, that'll help. It's a single serving, eight ounces, hundred milligram. We're actually going to have a 250 milligram. So I think that that's really what the market is looking for is a proper high dosed beverage where you don't have to have six or eight cans to feel like you're you know getting where you want to go yeah i I will say though at mj bizcon people would go after some of the um those those low dose beverages if the price was right so if if for three to five dollars at a store or you know five to ten dollars at a bar people will consume two or three or maybe even four of those if they're at, at MJ BizCon all night, four hours or whatever, they will consume at least four of those like water throughout the night. But, you know, when I was in Chicago, five milligrams, I'm not going to touch one of those beverages. But in Washington, 100 milligrams, maybe once a year. I mean, I can't even remember the last time I bought a beverage. I'm still waiting for infused coffee to become a thing. But, um, you know, Ray's Lemonade, really popular here locally. Um, but no, nobody really drinks beverages. Or at least not a lot. And it, and it's interesting because w- one of the quotes I always use, Jason Raposa, who has a company called Good Feels, it's one of the top beverage companies in Massachusetts, I... <laughs> has a friend who's an oncologist. You, you, you got visited by, I'm guessing it's a dog. My yeah, right I'll, I'll mute. Sorry. No, no, no. I don't care. Say hello to the dog. I don't know. It's an open talk show. Um, and um, he said the oncologist is really adamant about increasing the amount of percentage of THC in the beverages for their cancer patients, because that's where this is truly where the application for medicinal benefits should be focused on. 
Arshad, what's your opinion about how much uh, this kind of thing? I mean, you said you have a hundred milligram bottle. That's not an individual dose, though. That's multiple doses, or not? I think it's. I think it's dependent on the consumer. The person. Yeah. I think there's tons of people out there who, you know, maybe that's not even enough. They need a little bit more because they've developed a tolerance or, or um, you know, whatever the reason may be. But I see a lot of folks in Oklahoma consume that as a single serving, or maybe two servings, but. But, uh, you know, um, at most four, but not like 10 milligram servings, right? They are, they're, they're drinking half that bottle or the whole bottle or something of that nature. Um, Look, uh, we saw people on Fridays between the hours of three and five on a Friday consume 30% of all edibles and majority of those were beverages. So people were wanting to get, you know, really, really high on a Friday night and needing two days to recover. Wow. <laughs> By the way, I don't call that a hangover. I call it a leftover because you wake up and you're still high. <laughs> I like that. I like um, that. How, how is the edibles in Oklahoma? Or do you have access to everything? Because in New Jersey, we only have lozenges and uh, dispensaries are making other things to get around it and no one's saying anything, but uh, we're not allowed to have any of the beverages and I was just wondering, because you're just medicinal out there. We actually have rec adult use and medicinal, and we still can't have edibles. So I was just wondering if it's full out gummy yeah. bears and everything. Oh, everything. Gummy yeah. bears, gummy worms, you know, the, the ropes with the little nerd candies on them. And mm. the milligrams are crazy, too. We've got up to 4,000, 5,000 milligrams in a chocolate bar. What? Yeah. Uh, That's crazy. milligram bags of gummies. Each gummy, each little single chew the circle is 200 milligrams of thc holy mackerel um you know our friends at cosmic they have this really cool thing it's a peanut butter jelly gummy so it's a grape flavored gummy with a little bit of peanut butter in it and they basically squeeze the two gummies together and that's their cooking process so when you eat it and you bite into it you get a little you know peanut butter surprise and that gummy has over 100 milligrams of thc in it Wow. Don't judge me, Jimmy, if I want to go and buy a tequila in a plastic bottle, okay? Like if okay. if this I want to if I want to buy a thousand milligram bar, that should be my prerogative. And I've got a, a video on on the Talking Heads YouTube of a guy doing that in 2015, eating a thousand milligram bar and just slowly melting into his seat as time went on. <laughs> Look, and I'm not judging. I just I'm, I'm flabbergasted and I'm amazed and, and intrigued. I mean, it, you know. It, it is what it is. It, this is where, the, and, and again, I love having people like Arshad on because we get the feel for what it's like in that state. We've heard stories. I mean, I know we all heard stories about Oklahoma, but this is this is enlightening in, in many ways, in many ways. Doug, by the way, Doug has a edible product. I'm sure he'd like to share with you at some point. Uh, sure, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Arshad, where do you think the... Uh, federal reform movement is uh, what, what is your opinion about what's going on in Washington, D.C. with safe banking and the uh, active lobbies that are now in the nation's capital looking to make reform at the federal level? Is there hope for that, in your opinion? We're hopeful that there's hope yeah. for that, to say the least. Um, yeah. You know, it's definitely uh, it's great for the industry as a whole. We get to move forward. We get to be more legitimized and, you know, um, really take cannabis and, and I've spoken about this before, but take it from um, this very novelty, unique product that's still being accepted and, and is becoming part of our lifestyle, culture and society and, and 
really looking at it as what it's going to become eventually, which is more or less a commodity. And um, I think that the federal government taking these positions and, you know, slowly shifting towards that is just uh, the fruition of cannabis becoming a commodity over the next maybe 5, 10, 15 years. Whether that's positive or negative, it has its pros and cons. But I think that overall, it's good for the industry and it's going to just make it more accessible. Um, and hopefully, um, along with the access, you also are able to raise the standard and have higher quality products that are really geared for the consumers consuming them. Right. And this is what to add on to a commodity, I honestly think hemp will be added to the trading and NASDAQ as a commodity in the <clears> next decade or so. I mean, it's used for too many things, clothing, paper, textile. It's just so useful. And, uh, and I really do think it will be one of them, a commodity yeah. that's traded. What, what are the factors that, that need to happen before it gets there, Doug? Well, it has to become federally legal. I know that. <laughs> and uh, I think once it becomes start, it, yeah, it'll be a good start. But now it's already has enough usage. And I think uh, uh, there's enough of it. I think it would be pushed to to get onto a NASDAQ to be a trading commodity just yeah, because it, there's so much of it. I mean, it's just grown everywhere. So right. And and um, in Europe, too. I mean, you know, I, I had a great interview with our European correspondent, Lex Pelger, earlier this week that. Um, again, you've got Ireland now introducing decriminalization in their legislation and their parliament. I just don't know how long, you know, I think everybody said, well, it's going to be legalized. It's, actually, it's not going to be legal for 10 years at the minimum. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, I believe that being said, the, the descheduling and decriminalization of it and the um, opening of the banks still is so, so important. Actually, be careful what you ask for, Jimmy. Jimmy, be careful what you ask for because when you when you get that, a lot of these companies will fail. So I wanted to ask Arshad what what his plan was in order to be able to pivot to stay relevant when that happens. When you have price compression, when you have regulatory burdens, when you have fierce competition with seventy five hundred licenses, how are you going to be the last man standing? So I mean, I think the really the biggest importance here is one. There's the infrastructure aspect. You know, can you compete? you know, logistically and from a manufacturing and, and production standpoint to be able to, to match the prices and have the infrastructure to manage the sales and the distribution. And the other part of it is, do you have a valuable brand? Do you have a unique product? Do you have some sort of connection with the consumers, the legacy consumers and the new wave consumers that have, these are going to people that, that are going to shape cannabis as a consumer product for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And they're, what they want is what these big companies are going to respond to by creating products. If you have something that they love, that they like, that they relate to, then you have either the option to become a part of, you know, the Unilever or the Pepsi Cola of, of cannabis, or you, you sell and you, you walk away, you make, you know, you make a, a great chunk of change and you realize you had a good run and, you know, you're not, if you're not a billion dollar company, you're not a billion dollar company. Right. Right. I, it, you know, again, guys, this is why I love the, the these kind of interviews when we talk to different people at different parts of the country and also the world now. Um, you know, one of our one of our, our favorite themes is the international theme when we get people from other countries. I remember we had a Colombian grower on. I mean, I, I told him, I said, I probably sampled quite a few 
tons of your product in my <laughs> teens and my 20s, okay? <sighs> Just saying that. Um, so, uh, Doug, I, I'm going to uh, go back to you just for a second here and go back to the commodities qu question. Do, do we have to, like, set a wholesale price on something and then bring it to the market? How, how, again, again well, enlighten every, me, please. Everything's based off of speculation. So whatever they speculate, the price will be at that time. There's what a, if they don't know? Look, we've got legends. We've got people that we've elected that are clueless about this product. Now we're going to have somebody else setting the price on it. And that's how it works. And uh, everything's based off of speculation. And they have uh, they have market makers, and they they make the prices. And that's just how it works. And their people control the market. At the end of the day, someone has to run it. So uh, that's yeah they'll they'll make a price they'll stick with it that's where it'll start on a chart and it'll just trade from there and that what's the one thing in oklahoma you'd like to see change in the industry that's an interesting question i think that um we definitely you know uh it's a it's the 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 analogy that my dad gives me is if you've got a school and you've got a school teacher you know you've got one teacher and you can have 30 students or you can have 300 students and, and, and that one teacher can only manage and, and take care of so many students at a time. So I think what happened here is we had at one time almost 11,000 business licenses. And it becomes very tough for any regulatory agency, especially a new one, to be able to truly enforce it and regulate it and, and do the things it needs to. And we've seen that shift now. I think the state has realized maybe we overextended and we need to have some changes. So we've got a moratorium and some other things in place, a larger budget, and these protocols that I think is going to help mitigate that. Really, what we want to see is the the continuation of that, and um, and just get more regulatory standards in Oklahoma. You had mentioned you started uh, with convenience stores and then converted those into the cannabis shops. Have you noticed an increase or uptick in robberies when you compare the two businesses that you've had? I'm wondering if if cannabis was um, had the option of using plastic, uh, if that would decrease the robberies we're seeing on the West Coast. So multiple part question, have you seen the difference in, in robberies? And do you think being cashless would help? Hmm. Um, I think being cashless would help a little bit. But I mean, my we've my family's been in the C store convenience store gas station business for a long time. And we have probably been robbed dozens of times i mean we've knock on wood we've only had two instances where one of our stores was uh broken into on the on the gas on the cannabis side but in the gas station business it was every couple of months there was an incident um i remember i was like four years old and my dad had this gas station in dallas texas and a group of people came in and there was a gun to my head um so i've never experienced anything like that in cannabis but in in the gas station business it's very normal um <laughs> So, so do you think, cause I've been robbed at 420 at a, at a, um, a bank when I was a bank manager, I had a gun to my head too. So I, I know what it feels like. And so I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical that the cashless is really going to change for that very reason right there. So it, it, I don't, I, I don't think it's really about the cash. I think you're going to get robberies no matter what. I think it's also like the perception is like people think dispensaries are making tons of money. They're just floating in cash. And there's just loose product everywhere. I mean, these are organized businesses. We have cash pickup every day. We've got a vault. We've got a safe. All the product is locked up. There's procedures in place. There's magnetic doors and locks and stuff. It's not easy, uh, but I think it's just that perception of like grab and go. 
And most of the robberies we see is guys come in, they break the showcase, grab as much as they can, and then they run out the door. We don't see these elaborate overnight robberies or, you know, people coming in armed, telling you to empty the register or open the vault or anything like that. Um, we've seen mostly just these grab and go type things. Hey, Doug, have you ever had a gun to your head? Actually, thank goodness, no. I've seen some crazy stuff, but thank God I haven't had a gun to my head. You guys are uh, quite it's a life, that's, it's that's, a life That'll change your I life. I think I'm going to pass on too, guys, but I appreciate uh, your honesty, openness, and transparency on that. Hey, um, hey, Arshad, if I ever come to either Texas, which I have, I have a friend in Austin area, okay? Um, oh. But uh, if I ever do go to Oklahoma, I'd be fascinated to get a little tour and everything, and I'll I'll definitely keep in touch Absolutely. with you. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't have any plans, by the way, to go to Oklahoma. I did do, I did one of the highlights of my broadcast career was a statewide baseball game at Rosenblatt Stadium in Omaha. And that was um, not Oklahoma, though. You know what I'm saying, right? Okay. <laughs> right, guys, right? Omaha, Omaha's in Nebraska, isn't it? Which is right next to Oklahoma, right? I mean, I know my map. <laughs> Up above it? Why? That doesn't sound like you do. No. <laughs> not going to worry about it. Hey, yeah. uh, Doug, Doug, and uh, and Josh, thank you guys uh, for hanging out with us on a Friday afternoon. Arshad, great to. If people want to find out about the Nirvana Group, I'm guessing Google it, LinkedIn, all that yeah. neat stuff. All that stuff, yeah, definitely. All right, man. Hey, thank you again. Appreciate it. Well, thank that's going to wrap up our Green Rush Live, our really live business of cannabis talk show that we do every Friday afternoon here on Pro Cannabis Media. Remember, a reminder, Weed Talk News is coming up after this particular show. And to like, share, and subscribe to all the programs at Pro Cannabis Media, including In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Will you please? We will see you next week when we do Women in cannabis, one of my favorite subjects. Uh, so remember, it's a whole new world of weed. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.